Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. Hello and welcome to Nerdette Recaps Hamilton with Peter Segel. I am Greta Thank Johnson. God! <laughs> Finally! Something I actually enjoy. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just had to do that. Obviously, this is the Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones podcast. I am here with Peter Segel and Trisha Bobita. A slightly disappointed Peter Segel, honestly. <laughs> I was like, really? I we, know, it would be fun, right? It would be fun. We thought think, we were uh, recapping your favorite thing, but now it's only your second favorite thing. It really thing. is. What are the five? It's among the five oh, favorite things. Oh, we'll get there, sir. <laughs> That's a good one, Peter. That's really good. Okay, so for those of you who have not heard Nerdette before, who are solely here because maybe you like a show called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and you're curious to see what Peter Segel has to say about dragons and the Seven Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Trisha and I also host a podcast called Nerdette, which is a production by WBEZ, and it's an interview show where we talk to all sorts of good nerds, and Peter, we had you on once, actually. I was about to say, good nerds and me. Good nerds and you, (laughs) yeah, that's good. Two sets. And Cersei. And Cersei. Did you talk to Cersei? No, we didn't, actually. But she's not good. I just liked that line from the episode. In any case, thank you for joining us for Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. Today, we are recapping... Episode one of season six, which is called The Red Woman. Can I read you guys the little the little <laughs> synopsis that was on the TV? I, yeah, I, 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 I want to point out to our listeners that we're all sitting in front of notes, and uh, Trisha typed out notes, and we all have copies. There are one, six pages. <laughs> Looking over here, I've got Greta, who has amazingly good uh, like architect style handwriting. She does. Let's see, it's true. one, two, three pages. Three. I counted three pages. yawns in there. Peter. Three pages. And I've got a little black notebook where I've written, <laughs> like, great. horrible little scrawls. <laughs> These are my notes. Davos, Melisandre, Brienne. Oh. Yeah, are those right. useful notes for you? <laughs> well, we'll we're see, about I to guess. find out. Just, you know, why prepare <laughs> right, is right. my motto. Fair enough. Okay, but this synopsis that was on the television yes. before mm-hmm. you click go on the little on-demand or whatever was really good. And I think it's a great way to set up this conversation. It said, Jon Snow is dead. Daenerys meets a strong man. Cersei sees her daughter again. That's all they're telling Isn't us. Isn't that perfect? It is. It, there is somewhere to be written a, like a graduate student in English thesis, PhD, on the art of synopses in the days of watching on demand. Yeah, man. Because their purpose is to let people who have, say, working their halfway, working their way through a season of any particular show, to remind people what they have seen. Right, but not but actually not give anything But not to spoil away. it if you haven't yeah. seen it yet. And it's but, really hard to do well. I mean, yeah, Jon Snow is dead. Like, okay. Right. But is he? So that's, we'll I guess, there. that's what we should start. Did the episode actually go from north to south, or am I crazy? So the episode went to almost every location once, and it only went to one location twice, and that was the wall. So right. I think we should maybe end at the wall because I think the most important things are happening there. But what do you say we start it's all in King's Landing? at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start in King's Landing. I in still town. want to do a musical. I can't get out of That's that headspace. Let's start in Let's town. Start in town. Who's in town? Who 
is in town? So let's start with a clip from when we see Jamie return to visit his sister. We have some really good sort of quiet acting happening from uh, Lena Headey when, as the boat comes up and oh, she yeah. finally realizes that her daughter is not on the boat. Well, is, but is dead on the boat. Yes. Right? And it's not like, okay, f- three things are happening, Ms. Headey, in the shot. Are you ready? Uh, you, you're, first, you're happy because you think you're going to see your daughter again. Secondly, you realize that your daughter is dead, but it's also leavened by the fact that it is happening just like in the prophecy you got when you were 12. Okay, yeah. go. And she does it. Yeah. And that prophecy was the opening scene of last season. It was indeed. Which was a nice little callback, I thought. Yeah. Cersei does not look well. No. Although I'd kind of like the hairstyle now that she's got a little shampoo and conditioner. Yeah, yeah. She just looks real worn out. Yeah. I well, wouldn't say. you be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it seems fitting. It was just like, whoa, is that Cersei? Yeah. And the last, previously on Game of Thrones that HBO showed, did a good job of summarizing how she looked at the end of her walk of shame. So we understand. She's a little worn. She's been through the ringer. That previously on was pretty epic in and of itself. It was its own whole episode. Action packed. It was was amazing. (laughs) So Jamie, I think, is finding out what happened to her and has, we sort of skipped that part in what the TV viewers are seeing. So clearly by the time they're talking in the scene that we see, He's been caught up to speed on what happened when he was gone. She's been caught up to speed. And now they're trying to figure out what to do next. Right. And it's sort of as the series begins, them against the world, it feels like Jamie is back to that mode where he realizes that they can't really trust anybody else, that no one else is is really going to you know care for their family. And so much of their family is gone that it's just the Wonder Twins. Do you know what symbolizes his return to that, that kind of uh, sense of self and sense of power and independence? His hair. His hair is back. His hair is the, back. The Jamie Lannister excellent hair of season one has returned because we lost that as he was taken prisoner and then had various troubles mm-hmm. and got his hand cut off and his hair got all scraggly and dark. But now it's looking pretty good. So I think that indicates to us like like the, the, the cruel, self-aware, self-empowered Jamie Lannister is back. It's all indicated by hair. Do we get to play that clip where he just curses a lot? I was. Were you guys shocked? Because they, they swear all the time in Game of Thrones. But for some reason when he just sort of started dropping F-bombs. Fuck prophecy. Fuck fate, fuck everyone who isn't us. I yeah. was like, is this like an outtake reel? Okay, so, oh yeah, Marjorie, right? That's the other storyline that's taking we place. Had forgot- I had Landing. forgotten about Marjorie. Yeah, that she's she still was in, in the there. dungeon, the yeah. queen. And I had completely forgotten, thank you for previously on Game of Thrones editors, that uh, her brother, Loras Terrell, was in there too. Oh, yeah. That she was arrested prior to Cersei being arrested on the charge of aiding and abetting by not speaking about his uh, sin of, I don't think they call it this, but we might call it sodomy. Yeah, and they're both still locked up. Yeah. So could someone remind me, because I can't figure this out, why once the queen, the queen mother and the queen's brother were imprisoned across town by the church... Why the incredibly powerful Lannister regent, who was Kevan, we saw, didn't just get a whole bunch of troops together and march on over. I remember there was a scene like that, but it didn't work, and I don't remember why. I don't either. Maybe this is when an attentive listener can help yeah, us. I remember there out. was a scene in, in which the, the, the whiny king comes over and brings some troops, and he's That's like, right, me my yeah. queen. And they're like, no. And he's like, okay. That seems, <laughs> that seems, I mean, considering, you know, they're the most powerful military force in the region, why can't they just go do that? Although I have a feeling, judging on next on Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. that that might happen now that Jamie's back. Yeah, I think he, he's ready to Rambo up a little. Yeah. <laughs> I think he is. You know, stripped to his waist and... Well, I mean, that whole, like, 
10 F-bombs, let's take on the world, doesn't really bode for, like, political maneuvering next season. It bodes for them, like, ramboing up. Yes. Yeah, I mean, fuck everyone that isn't us in this world is, like, a pretty intense statement. And ironic, since they fuck each other. But, <laughs> anyway. Good ladies. One, Bobita. Ladies. Good one. It's too early in the morning for such filth. Okay, so does that cover town? Should we move along to Dorne? Yeah, I think the only thing to say about town is where is Littlefinger in it? Yeah, yeah. we know he's we there. Know. He's scheming. He said, I gotta, when last we saw him, middle of last season, I gotta get back to, to um, King's Landing. And where is he? Scheming. Yeah. Scheming Yeah, somewhere. I mean, he's obviously up to something. Like, you know he'll pop up with some weird plan yeah. for something. Well, maybe when he said, I need to go back to town, he meant Baltimore, where he is, I think, still the mayor. <laughs> Good one. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Greta, you want to go to Dorne next? Yeah, let's go to Dorne. I wrote Sand Snakes Blah. I have a feeling you guys can kind of fill that in a little better. <laughs> right, now, wait a minute. What's wrong with the Sand Snakes now? They um, used to be pretty boring, but now they're getting a yeah, little more no, interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, they got a little more interesting. I guess I just, uh, like, this is one of those storylines to me that feels like it's an unnecessary thread in the overall course of things. And so I just am not not super. I mean, there's so they killed everybody, right? I mean, it's like there's the varsity level houses and then there's the JV level houses like Dorn <laughs> and like we know they're not going to win. Think, you think, think the sports think analogy is like, going to help me here, It's like Trisha? Division 1A and Division 2. Sure. Right. And I don't care about Division 2 as yeah, much man, as I care exactly, about Division 1. Like, yeah. But I mean, I <laughs> I don't care about either division or sports. Greta doesn't care about any of it or sports. Greta has actually left the room. I didn't expect that. I'm gone. The first thing I thought of is you have these three actors who play significant characters, at least in the books. You had um, Sadiq, I forget his last name, uh, who played uh, Prince Doran Martel. You had his bodyguard, who has a great name, which I forget. And you have his whiny little son, Tristane. <laughs> and they're all dead. They all got killed off pretty quickly. And I, all I could think of was, was all their friends of the actors in question saying to them, oh, it's so exciting. You're in season six. That's great. And the friends are like, the uh-huh. actors are like, yeah, <laughs> just make sure you don't miss that first episode because I think <laughs> that's it. It's like, yes, you get to come back for season six. The poor guy who played the big bodyguard didn't even get a line. Nope. And all I could think of is like he did. They finished filming. I'm assuming they they film, they edit, then they start filming again. So this guy had to wait whatever six months <laughs> to come back to the set, get in costume, stand there, and get stabbed. And I was like, I'm sorry, dude. I hope you got a good day's pay and got to enjoy the catering before they. Before I'm sure they the craft the services you. makes it all worth it. Now here's the thing, though. This is, I think, pretty exciting. Contra Greta. Convince me, Peter. Because what it means is that the whole Oberyn Martell plot of two seasons ago, which was awesome because we all love Pablo Pascal, who played Oberyn Martell, is now going to come to fruition with his uh, vengeful widow, I guess, former courtesan, consort, uh, coming back at him uh, with power. (laughs) I mean, it's not going to be – there was an indication – just because of the poisoning, that it was just going to be some maneuverings and maybe just a little provocation. No, they're, they've taken over Dorne. Full-on coup. It's yeah. a full-on coup. So now the Dornish army, and we'll find out what division they are, <laughs> is going to be marching in some fashion, literally or figuratively, on King's Landing. So fun stuff occurs. Conflict okay. is on the horizon. Okay. I guess that is exciting. Just one more line from that location that I liked before we move on to Bravos, which is, Weak men will never rule Dorne again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was Boom. Nice. Mike yeah. That was good. Plus, I also love the actress who plays, um, what is her character's name? The, 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 the mother of the Sand Snakes. 
Uh, That's what she's written as in my notes. Yeah, I forget her name, but she's awesome. And the same actress, Indira Varma, was on HBO's Rome, which I watched again recently, so I'm a big fan. Yeah, there was one weird thing about that whole sequence. I loved the sequence where they killed off Tristane. Mm -hmm. Like, which one of you do you want to fly? And he turns his back. That was pretty awesome. But how did they get on the boat? He's on some sort of ship. You have an establishing shot of the ship. I'm assuming that's a reference to some disposition of where he should go at the end of last season. The next thing you know, he's sitting there journaling, I assume. And he probably uses that as a verb. What are you doing, Prince Tristane? (laughs) Oh, I'm journaling. Journaling. And these two sand snakes walk onto the boat or into his cabin. How did they get there? Did they swim? They look dry. Did they pedal really hard to catch a sailing ship? Maybe they can fly. It's possible. Maybe they're water snakes. Oh. (laughs) Anytime you make sound effects. It's awesome. Peter, I'm there. (laughs) Yeah. All right. A few locations in the Seven Kingdoms down. A few more to go. We'll be right back. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. All right, Peter, Greta, let's continue our journey through the Seven Kingdoms in episode 601. Uh, Marine next? Marine. Quickly, let's go to Bravos because not much happened. So we can dispense with it pretty quickly, which is we know what we knew really at the end of last season, which is Arya has been punished. She is now blind. She is a blind beggar girl. And now she has to learn how to fight while blind. Yes. And, and that's about all we know. We get to watch her getting beat up with a stick, which I think it's happens a lot on the show. Actually, you think I'm it's kind of ex- sweet. I mean, sweet and not in terms of like heartfelt, but exciting. Like I'm actually, I feel like the storyline is promising because in the end, I think this art, blind Arya is just going to be like even more badass than sighted Arya. I am going to have so few chances to say this on this season <laughs> uh-huh. of podcast, uh-huh. but that happened in the book. Uh, that in the Bravo sequence in the book, Arya is blinded not as punishment, but as kind of part of her training. And there's mm. that there's that moment where she, right before the that antagonistic girl shows up, uh, she's sitting there and she's listening to people converse. And she's, the girl shows up and says, have you been listening, blind girl? And that was her mission, just to walk around and be invisible, to be no one, a blind beggar, and to gather information. So maybe we're moving toward that, that this is part of her training to be a uh, faceless one. I like it. I'm glad I'm into you do. It. I am curious, like, and we can talk about this maybe in the next section, but like on a couple of these arcs, I'm really interested to see how many episodes it actually takes to fulfill the thing that seems pretty obvious that needs to happen in order to move the story forward, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think Arya, like, becoming a super badass is one of them. You could even say in terms of Dorne, like, marching to King's Landing. You know, I feel like there are a lot of pieces... And often with shows, there is sort of like that reset, you know, with the next season where it is like, oh, everything's back to normal with Battlestar Galactica or whatever. (laughs) You know, Apollo lost all that weight or whatever it is. Yeah, that was a little strange. (laughs) Can we take 15 minutes to talk about the unlikelihood of Apollo losing that weight that quickly? (laughs) But, you know, I feel like there are just like a couple really interesting arcs that you see them planting seeds for in this first episode. And it'll be interesting to see how long it actually takes for them to implement what they're promising. This might be as good a place to say this as any. We had this same conversation after the first season last year. Right. This episode is just about finding out 
out where everybody is yeah. after the events of last uh, season. So yes, for example, uh, here's the uh, outcome of the of the assassination by the Sand Snakes. Oh, over here in uh, Bravos, here's the outcome of Are You Being Blinded? Now this is where she is. So it's a big, what you call in writing, a throat-clearing episode. Before you start. <clears throat> exactly. It's like, <clears throat> before I start actually <clears throat> saying anything of substance, <clears throat> let me just say these other things. So we're finding out where everybody is. Let for me the most indicate part. to you verbally that I am about to say something. Precisely. <laughs> Stuff is about to happen. But first, this is where everybody is. And I'm excited about Maureen already because we get Tyrion and Spider chatting as they walk through the streets. They open with some good banter. I like the... You walk like a rich person. You walk as though the paving stones were your personal property. Oh, yes. They, they definitely, the writers had fun, will have fun with those guys. Although I thought that there was something sort of brutal and un-Tyrion-like about Tyrion's insult of Varys. It was mm. like, well, it's, and, and, what, it's a good thing you're not a boy because you have no cock. <laughs> and it, it, it reminded me of that amazing moment in the movie Catch Me If You Can where somebody challenges Tom Hanks to tell a joke and he says, here's a joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? Fuck you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the comment. Humor. Sophisticated humor. Anyway, but it did bother me that this is a town filled with assassins where, as Tyrion says, wherever you go, people want to kill you. And these two guys are just walking around. Strolling. Mm-hmm. Strolling. And I also have to say, having just been in France for a few days and trying to speak French, the hilarity of the little bit with the beggar. <laughs> Of Tyrion oh, saying, yeah, that your was baby nice. to eat yeah. was, was very funny to me, and it hit home. And then we see the graffiti, kill the masters, mother is a master. How weird was it to see English graffiti? English graffiti and clearly spray paint also. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. I mean, you accept, just as you have to, that they're not really speaking English. They're, you're, you're, listening, you're listening to some, just like you always do in movies like Ancient Rome. You watch mm-hmm. Ancient Roman movies, they're speaking English with a British accent because that's yeah, what the that's Ancient Romans spoke. Right. But it's just so weird to go from people talking English to somebody writing it out on a wall. In modern day paint. Yes. Like in paint yeah. in a kind of, can- like yeah. not if only in the, bright. If they shouldn't have used that glitter paint. I think that kind of gave it away <laughs> when they were tagging Marine. But, but yeah, they, they, what are they doing wandering around this incredibly dangerous city filled with um, assassins? You well, can't was, get to know a city from the palace, Peter. Oh, I know, from the t- or from the top of a 600-foot pyramid. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting, too, I thought, seeing all the different camera angles that they used during that shot, kind of like as if someone were watching them yes, through it was very, it was windows cool. and around corners and yeah. stuff. It was it was cool, but it was also kind of foreboding, I thought, because it did, you know, often when there are camera shots like that, it is because there is actually a creeper yeah, watching. It, it made me wonder if they were going to get jumped. Yeah, totally. And to- then... Shit does go down, right? Yeah. What yep. is? What do you think the plot ramifications will be of the burning of the fleets or the fleet? Does it mean that uh, they're trapped there? Is that the idea that all of a sudden they're in Marine, they can't leave I mean, as I th- they continue to be under pressure from the sons of the harpy? I think it means they can't go to King's Landing. Right. Yeah. Or they I mean, can't take an army to King's Landing. Right, exactly. Now the only they way to get there is by Were they going to yeah. do that? Was there yeah, some that discuss- was the plan. I know it was the plan, but it's been the plan for five <laughs> seasons, and they've never actually done it. Did anybody actually say, hey, great, look, Wednesday, we're loading up the ships, we're going over there. Nobody actually did that. So yeah, it wasn't no. like there was an invasion in the offing. Yeah, I think it was just sort of like a, you know, potential energy ships. Like you just wanted to have them around yeah, yeah, for yeah, just yeah, in I, case, for n- just in case next Wednesday, you know? Did you say potential energy I ships? I did say potential energy ships. And what ships, does that you know? mean? Like exactly. potential energy instead of kinetic energy. Oh, like, potential you know, energy. Yeah, oh, no, I, I don't know why I said that. But Neither that's do I. Why. <laughs> 
An we also got maybe a new interesting character. We have a sort of charming political leader talking on a soapbox as they walk through the streets. Oh, right. Who we don't exactly know who that is yet, but Tyrion says that guy's trouble because he's charismatic and trying to revolutionize the people. Right, but he's doing it in support of the absent Daenerys. Was he not? He was- is, but he's also too charming. Tyrion can tell right away that either a threat to his power or Daenerys's, but a threat to at least his power. Right. Well, and it is really interesting to think about how the Lord of Light is playing out in yeah. power in a lot of different locations across the Seven Kingdoms. Yes. Yeah, right? So, uh, I think it was Matt Iglesias, who I've mentioned before in the podcast, mm-hmm. who, does, who has done, I don't know if he's still doing it, some really fun commentary, but he, he pointed out that uh, given the Lord of Light's apparent power, uh, that clearly is the religion to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that develops, too. And, and we find out in the end of the episode that the Lord of Light apparently has some really great uh, makeup treatments mm-hmm. available <laughs> mm-hmm. to we'll followers. We'll get there, man. We'll okay. get there. Okay, so Marinish countryside, Marinian countryside. We've no, no, got uh, the Dothraki the Horde. The Dothraki Horde. I have in my notes, Sir Loverboys are looking for Danny. <laughs> really? I was like, oh, now the Dothraki will enact a Muddy Python routine. <laughs> this is when I wrote... Third yawn. Really? <laughs> yeah, I counted my yawns. There well, were only three in the whole episode. We'll point out to uh, new listeners again, as we mentioned in the <laughs> prologue episode, that one thing that we think has makes our show stand apart from other <laughs> potential Game of Thrones related shows is that one of our your your co-hosts doesn't actually like the show very much, which I think gives us a certain depth to our commentary. <laughs> I like to consider myself the reticent recapper. I understand. <laughs> the you, reticent I, recapper. I mean, when, when, when those Dothraki guys, first of all, it was, I thought, I mean, they were babes. Like, I didn't mind that oh, scene. Oh, okay. You know? It was eye candy. Yeah. I thought it was kind of fun that they're talking, presumably, in Dothraki and saying these various gross things about her. I loved the line where one guy says, well, who cares if she's an idiot if you're just going to... Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And he says, well, yeah, I like to talk afterwards. Otherwise, we're just dogs. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they may as well be dogs. Yeah. Implying that they, when women aren't available, bestiality is fine. Oh, is that No, I don't think that. No? No, I think it was, you know, you have to have some human interaction with a woman you rape, because otherwise (laughs) you're just like a dog who just humps, you know, some other dog and wanders away. So it made me me think of what that Dothraki's pillow talk would be (laughs) with one of his rape victims. It's like, so, what do you do? Let's not go there, man. Really? Oh, well, you're trying to put yourself through graduate school. That's great. I have no idea what it would be, but it would be very odd. It would be very I odd. I loved that she understood everything oh, they were boy. saying, and they had no idea. Yes, yeah. which was fun. Yeah, which was really was fun. Cool. And, and she played it well by not admitting that she knew everything. Well, in that line, seeing a beautiful woman naked for the first time is one of the five best things in life. That was that sitcom hilarious. Bit. No, it was it always like it was Michael Palin going, well, there's also this. It was, it was <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. the bit from Life of Brian where John Cleese says, what have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> it was hilarious. It also might have been because I know that Benioff and Weiss, first of all, they love Monty Python. As mm. you may remember, the lone champion a couple of seasons ago who came out in front of, it might have been Marine, to challenge them, was actually shouting in Marinese the French knight's speech. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot We <laughs> fart in that. your general direction. <laughs> uh, so they think it was, a, it was definitely a throwback to Monty Python. It also might well have been a slight reference to the, the greatest line of movie dialogue ever in Conan the Barbarian, where someone says to Arnold Schwarzenegger, Conan, what is good in life? And he says, to crush your enemies, drive them before you and hear the lamentation of their women. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyway, that was hilarious. Um, But uh, now she's off to uh, Vase Dothrak. Yeah, man, what do you think about this widow compound? 
Well, <laughs> widow compound doesn't make it sound Kareem. terrible. The dosh doesn't sound very good, but at least she'll be safe. I, I had this thought. So you have this culture, the Dothrakis, <laughs> right? And what they do is they have these huge hordes. And by the way, can you compare the season six budget horde to the season <laughs> mm. one budget horde? The season one budget horde is like eight guys on horses, three of whom were our principal characters. And now you've got thousands Hundreds, of extras. Thousands. It's awesome. So the idea is that all, you have all these different hordes, different cows, and they're all going around <laughs> and they fight each other because one says one of, the great, one of the things in greatest life better than, you know, seeing a new woman naked is kill to kill another, another cow. And they sack cities mm-hmm. and rape everybody. How, how – are there enough cities to be sacked and raped to sustain an economy of constant hoarding? And I don't mean that in the sense of like hoarders on – cable TV. I mean, <laughs> right. like, running around with your horde, sacking like and Spoils. Of, yeah. I, like, it's a great question. This is one of those, like, we're, we're talking about the, the sustainability of the Dothraki yes. economic system now. I know. I mean, really, because we wouldn't <laughs> you know? run out of places to sack or other calls <laughs> to attack. I don't know. I think the weirdest thing about it is that they were fine with raping her before they realized someone else had already raped her and someone else having raped her made her now a widow who couldn't be. Yeah. To me, it felt like if these women are just objects, it's not actually protecting the woman by sending her to the compound. It's like retiring the jersey number. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's It's really man. strange. I don't yeah. know about like this compound. I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see what happens there just because like it sounds like another boring thing to me. <laughs> um, but what Sir does it sound like another boring thing to you, Greta? Oh, God. good question. Sir Loverboys are close, though. They already found the ring. They can't be that far away. That's Everybody's true. on horseback. That's so true. like they're only like Wait a, a day apart. Wait a minute. Are you I like Sir Lover, Sir Lover Boys. Boys? Is that is that your name for the pair of them? Yes. Or just, or just a good looking one? No, both of them because they both Lover love Boy. her. Oh, yeah. I see. I thought it was a reference just the to the horrible one. 80s Canadian band <laughs> Lover Boy, which would be awesome. awesome. <laughs> Danny's, uh, you know, supposedly going to get saved by these two how, schmucks how on horses. Times, how many How many do you think we're going to have one shot per episode? <laughs> I'm looking of, at his arm dramatically. Yeah. looking at his psoriasis. Yeah. Just <laughs> well, it's going to get bigger. Yeah, I know. You know. Yeah. All right. Moving on. To that the north. Be bad. Yeah. To the north. To the north. So uh, Ramsey is sad that Miranda to the is dead. Sorry, the Winterfell. <laughs> wow. We're in Winterfell where yes. that was really good. Miranda is dead, and because she's good meat, she'll be fed to the hounds because Ramsey's a practical romantic. He is. And then uh, <laughs> he gets threatened by his father, basically saying, Great, if- by the way, great moment. He says, "By that, uh, I was just slightly older than her. By that time, everybody was afraid of me. And he, and he turns to the maester and says, You certainly were. And the maester kind of goes, mm. <laughs> <laughs> And we have uh, the only person who scares Ramsay, his father, saying, if you don't get Sansa back, you don't get an heir. Like, you don't get to keep being in power. Sorry, Charlie. And can I just say that the, I, I apologize to everyone because I admire this guy so much and I have, did not re-familiarize uh, re, uh, myself with the actor's name. But the guy who plays Roose Bolton mm. is maybe not just my favorite actor, but my favorite human right now. Yeah. I just I could just watch that guy. Just do. I, I wish he were here at WBEZ doing the traffic reports every morning. I, <laughs> I love that actor. Sorry, moving on. And we see Reek and Sansa running away. Now they have to cross the run river to get away. Yes, very Monty Python. <laughs> run away! Uh, and then I kind of forgot. It was a fun moment for me where I forgot who else was sort of rambling around in those same woods when I was like, oh no, they're just going to get sent back to yeah, Ramsey. I, yeah. And then, in my notes, it just says in all caps, Brienne. Yes. Oh yeah, I have Brienne shows up in all caps. M- and you have my note says Brienne. Brienne. Yeah, right. <laughs> what? Well, because it's like, yes, they're just about to be killed. 
and upright. It's very good Brienne. timing. And, and I, I remember there was this moment in the last season. We talked about it, in fact, in our in our last uh, podcast where. Brienne is like been watching and watching and watching for that signal for help, mm-hmm. uh, that ridiculously bright candle. And, and then just remind before, me, Sansa tried to light the candle, right? She did. Wasn't she, in she, fact, she was succeeded foiled. She in did succeed. Me. No, she succeeded. The first attempt came to nothing because Ramsay found the woman who's going to do it and skinned her alive. But right. then when, when they ride out to fight Stannis, that's when she <laughs> used the corkscrew. That's when Sansa used the corkscrew, mm-hmm. got out, went and lit the candle. But what happened, of course, Brienne, who'd just been staring at the candle had just been distracted by Pod saying, Stannis is out there, and ran That's away and never it saw was. it. Okay. So how, somehow she killed Stannis. Came, I don't know how she found Stannis. She killed Stannis, came back, and immediately started, oh, yes, there's the candle. I need to go find Sansa, and rode around and just happened to stumble across them at just the key moment. I mean, I it think all perfect. she had to do was actually follow the sound of the hounds. And know that she was right behind Ramsey's guys. The sounds of the hounds. It, all I'm saying is it would have been a nice to have a shot of Brienne hearing hounds and going, hmm, hounds. <laughs> and it would have made my, my reaction. Like, yes. Yeah. I did think that like that moment when Brienne like takes the knee, like it did remind me of just that ridiculous obstinance of Brienne, right? Yeah. Of insisting upon the fact yeah. that she has to pledge she, her. She, she likes doing it the old way. To Sansa. She, she's, she just loves, um, I guess, feudal loyalty. I rolled my eyes for half a second, but then my heart really did melt when they exchanged the oath to yeah. each other. I thought that was actually a really sweet scene. And I loved the bit when um, poor Sansa forgets the appropriate words. Yeah. And says, meet and meet at my table. Meet and meet at my table. And then she remembers the rest. I just thought that was that was pretty nice. In my notes right there, it says hashtag squad goals, because I did think it was a nice moment of <laughs> sisterhood. Here's a theory. Just came up with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> the big question of the whole arc of Game of Thrones is who's going to end up on the Iron Throne? We've talked about it. Everybody talks about it. It's mm-hmm. the whole thing. Maybe it's Podrick. Oh, he that would is make me so happy. unabashedly cool. Not only is he a good sword fighter uh, when you need him, but he knows the words to oaths. He's incredibly loyal and helpful. He knows the words. He, to you know, he's got all this. He's the got ladies all stuff love going him. The la- oh, the ladies love him. Apparently, he has like equipment like nobody would believe. If you remember that scene from a few seasons ago. So he's like, when you think about it, the only unreservedly good guy. You know, I was Davos. I think him and Davos. Yeah, well, Davos like is without question the best. Only I thought that good goes guys. without saying. <laughs> oh, and I'm saying sorry. Podrick might be a second best. <laughs> okay. I mean, yes. Da- I, did I even have to say that, that Davos is the best? I well, let's we go to the that. wall and All talk right. about how Davos continues to be the best. He or at least so try nice. very hard. So this is our opening scene from the whole episode. Right. And ending. So we begin and end at the wall right. in this episode. So we begin with Ghost, the direwolf that belongs to Jon Snow, howling. And when he's howling so much, I think that's when Davos realizes what has happened. Because right. we kind of forget it wasn't everyone in the watch who was doing this to Jon Snow. It was a few officers and Ollie. And so now the lo- those loyal to Jon Snow are finding him dead in the snow. Right. And Davos and is pulling him into a room. real dead. He, he looks he, pretty he looks dead. pale. He doesn't look good. He looks a little peaked. He hasn't been eating enough. <laughs> like they didn't quite call it, but I feel like they, I mean... Well, when He's the red dead. woman comes in, she's very perplexed yeah, because she right. says, I saw him in the fire fighting at Winterfell. So now she's doubting either her faith because she saw a vision of him alive past this point or wondering, I think, 
does me seeing him alive in the future mean that I know what I have to do? This means I have to take action it to make ambiguous. him alive. Yeah, I don't think she's questioning But we can certainly fate. say, for, because for 10 months we've all been saying, is Jon Snow really dead? That I think that if the TV makers, if Benioff and Weiss could have put the scent of decomposing flesh into everybody's home, they would have done it. Because everything was like, this guy is dead. He is so dead. He is as dead as a doornail. Look, here's a doornail next to him. You can compare it. <laughs> There is a dead guy. Look, here's Vaudeville over here. Both dead. <laughs> so Thorne, this horrible guy. Alistair Thorne. Another great actor, by the way. Yeah, he is he, really He good. just brings the sort of crusty, stubborn unpleasantness and always has. I just kudos again to all the actors on the show. Well, and he says some pretty horrible things. I mean, like his speech to the group after yeah. he killed Jon Snow, I thought was pretty interesting. It was. It was kind of noble because he said, yeah, I killed him and I, you know, I committed treason. But the reason I did it was this. Because I knew that John even says, I'm sure the Commander Snow was doing what he thought was right, but he would have destroyed the watch. And so he made us do this. It's his fault. And, and then there must be a name for this in movie making, just like, you know, there are nicknames for different kinds of things. But that, that specific moment where a man, usually a man, is making a speech usually to soldiers – or maybe union members or gangsters mm-hmm. or whatever it is, <laughs> and he convinces him of something, mm. whatever it may be. He says, yes, I've taken over the gang, or we have to go on strike, or whatever it may be. And there's a shot of the members of the group just turning to each other and going, and they have the same look on their face, and every time, like, this guy's got a point. Everyone, it's time for convinced muttering. Exactly, convinced muttering. All right, can we have a convinced muttering shot, please? And action. He's got a point. Yeah, I think so. So that pretty much sums up the first part of what we see at the wall, right? And then yeah, well, my favorite part when they come back, though, yeah. is you can you guys can all, if you lay down oh, your yes. swords, you'll be, you know, cause so, so Alistair comes up, knock, knock, knock on the door where they have Jon Snow and says, you know, I'll let you all go free. We just want the body and you guys need to, you know, not be holed up here. We can't have this. Yeah, yeah. And he says to Davos, like, I'll give you a horse and you can ride free. And the way the delivery of Davos going. And some mutton. I'd like some mutton. What? I'm not much of a hunter. <laughs> it's my favorite this is moment why in the whole we don't episode. need to even argue or even really say that Davos is the best. Yeah, Davos. I like some mutton. I mean, I wrote, is Davos the last good guy? But you're right that Podrick is another Podrick good guy. Podrick is fabulous. Yeah. We had forgotten to what extent Podrick is fabulous and well endowed. That line, what's one redhead going to do against 40 men? Yeah. Does he well, say ginger? No. He says, he says redhead. redhead. He says redhead. Okay. Because they're not really British. They just all are actually are British. <laughs> And yeah, and so that, you know, they, they realize that this uh, offer for amnesty is false. If they open the yeah. door, they're going to get oh, killed. Right. And then we cut to Melisandre alone in her room. All right. Before we get into what happens, <laughs> where is she and what time is it? Because the prior scene was the Alistair thing. All right, you guys can think about it. but You have till the end of the day, You have till nightfall. Yeah. So it is day. Next scene, Melisandre is in a chamber somewhere. Where is this chamber? Because our heroes, with whom she just joined in the prior appearance, are locked in a room. Right. Is the chamber, like, through that door over there? It's like, oh, we're in this, like, little anteroom. But you can have the bedroom, Melisandre, that no one else can get into. And by the way, feel free just just to go to bed. Because nothing's going on that we might need you. And also, is she going to bed in the midday? It's like Melisandre needs a nap. Is that what's happening? Is she going to bed? Well, that's what she does. She climbs under the covers. She takes off her her magical necklace. Uh, By the way, there's a little 
cute little CGI flash of red. Yeah, that ruby. Mm. In, the, in the necklace, just mm. as she takes it off. She transforms mm. into a, a woman of certain age. <laughs> and uh, Which we think, according to the internet, is like 400 years old. Probably. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And again, I always do this, but I, it looked as if that they took a CGI version of her aged face, the actress in question, and grafted onto a very old body. And all I could think about was that body double. <laughs> and and all I can think about was that woman saying, what, and leave show business? <laughs> anyway. So, and that's where we leave things in the episode. That's it. She crawls into bed naked as her old self, and we're left to wonder, is she about to do some magic? Can I say, I, I don't think I'm the only person to think of this, but the revelation that she's actually an old crone who has a magical youth device is pretty uninteresting. I mean, as uh, my friend Susie Felber pointed out on Twitter, they did the same thing in the Disney movie Tangled. <laughs> yeah, it's not surprising at all. No. I mean, it would have been much more interesting if like, she had taken off the the necklace and transformed into like Rick Moranis. You know, like <laughs> somebody you would just never Danny DeVito. Exactly. That would have been great. But like it turns out, oh, she's got this bloom of youth because of magic. Yeah, we've seen that before. Yeah. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah. And 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 then she gets into bed. So now here's a thought. Yes. All, that scene was you can only I'm trying to think why did they do that scene? Well, they were establishing that she has an object that restores vitality and life. And we have seen from her that she is in, which is very surprising for her for the last four seasons, at a moment of extraordinary self-doubt. Hmm. Like she feels that not only has – she feels that somehow she has failed. Yeah. Because she, as we know now, was really quite sincere in her prophecies to Stannis. She wasn't trying to trick him in anything. She honestly thought he was the guy. He's not the guy. Her prophecies have not come true. So maybe she is at a weird moment of self-reflection that we wouldn't expect where she's going to do something, dare I say the word in relation to Melisandre, noble. Like maybe take that vitality-restoring magical amulet and uh, pop it onto Kit Harrington's neck. He'll even be cuter, I think, with a nice little <laughs> ruby choker necklace. and see what happens. Yeah, I wonder. I feel like she's not – like my thought with that scene was – was more to establish the fact that someone else is probably going to end up taking it from her. Really? Yeah, mm. but who knows? I mean, no one actually saw her take the necklace off, so maybe that's not yet taking yeah. too much of a leap. Okay. I guess right. we'll see. We'll see. We so we, we have recapped see. the show. We have. Am, am I correct? And in just a moment, we will be back with some of your listener questions, so stick around. All right, so we are here with some of your listener questions. Some of you tweeted at us. Some of you sent us voicemails. You did that by calling 312-946-4687. Please do call with your questions, your uh, curmudgeonly responses to anything we've said. We would love to hear them. We have one right now that we can hear that Peter is a reflection of maybe you getting something wrong last week That's when it impossible. comes to no i'm looking at the notes the presidential here. It says, candidates it says, it says sagel is wrong that cannot be the case <laughs> i am calling across the great gulf of time and space i've been really enjoying uh, peter sagel's interpretation of which presidential contenders are which game of thrones characters but i disagree that there is no donald trump 
Um, there is a Donald Trump. I just think it's a little confusing because the sequencing, the timing is a little bit confusing. But Donald Trump is Robert Baratheon. He is, at best, a wild philanderer and, at worst, a total misogynist. Robert Baratheon and Trump both brag a lot. They both wallow in power and excess. Robert Baratheon's allies are a little embarrassed of him, um, and his enemies can't decide whether to kiss his ass or stand up to him. And in the end, they're going to betray him the first good chance they get. Robert Baratheon, like Trump, uh, shows these little flashes, these little moments of kindness and humanity every so often, which makes you makes him kind of charming and makes you like him a little bit, even though he's basically a huge asshole. Robert Baratheon, like Trump, a very effective and cunning campaigner, surprising everybody uh, with his prowess, but he has no idea how to actually rule once he wins. And finally, my last argument is... So Robert Baratheon used to be kind of handsome, maybe even dashing, but the years have taken their toll and made him look kind of worn out and funny looking. Uh, That's an interesting theory. It is, of course, incorrect, (laughs) beginning with its first premise that I was wrong. And I think that I can prove it's incorrect with the help of the season to come based on a very vague sense that we're going to be seeing some flashbacks to Robert's rebellion. Because Robert, as book readers know... Uh, was in his youth, before he became king, an incredibly charismatic guy who, through the force of his personality, managed to lead a rebellion against the sitting king, was brave, was noble, an extraordinarily capable commander who won two battles in one day, famously. And I think, again, and I, this is what I said when we were talking about it, was the kind of person, as George R. R. Martin described him, who could credibly do the things that he did. Donald Trump is not someone who can credibly do the things that he has done. I think Robert Baratheon is a much smarter, more charming, if flawed person. The other thing about Robert Baratheon, which is completely different from Donald Trump and maybe the key thing, is Baratheon knew his limits. One of the first things he says to Stark, Ned Stark, way back in season one and or book one is, I'm a a terrible king. I'm good at becoming a king. I'm bad at being one. I need your help. And Donald Trump would never, ever, ever say that anything like that to anyone ever. All right. Rebuffed. This listener's theory is rebuffed. Good try, though. I invite more people to try to show that I'm wrong and fail. (laughs) 312-948-4687 is the number you can call to leave us a voicemail. So we got a lot of tweets. Peter, you kind of put a call out on the Twitters this morning asking people for what their questions were after the season six premiere. We answered a couple of them in our conversation before, or at least also asked them, like, where did Littlefinger go and how did the Sand Snakes get on the boat? One that I thought was kind of fun is from somebody named Jeffrey. He asks, is Peter Seigel alive? Is Peter Seigel alive? Yeah, is Peter Seigel alive? Hang on. Yes. Okay, Okay, good. good. So, and then this is the best one that I think we all agreed upon, which is by Fishbert, who tweeted us and asked, does menopause not matter when it comes to creepy, murderous ghost babies? Apparently not. I think what's wonderful is in this day and age, ancient magical crones can really look forward to, I think, their golden years after menopause and have many (laughs) ghost babies as well as uh, military alliances, uh, illicit sexual connections with uh, various kings and or people with royal blood. It's really a a great age. I think think (laughs) the the 400s 
are the new 40s. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Somebody also asked, like, when Brienne came and rescued Theon and, we can call him Theon again because he's being cool, yeah. rescued Theon and Sansa, what happened to the hounds? Yeah, the hounds them? did just kind of and, disappear. And there's a, there's a simple answer. Squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. All right. So I think we'll leave it at that. Keep your questions coming. You can tweet at us. We are Nerd at Podcast. He is Peter Segel. And again, we love your voicemails. 312-948-4687. If you just tweet at us or email us instead of calling us, we will read your tweets or emails aloud in a funny voice. So you're much better off <laughs> that giving be us your own voice. Though. Yeah, it's true. We've, but no, I will do it in my fake British accent, which is oh, good. A, a bizarre a parody of Terry Thomas. And you don't <laughs> want to hear that. So leave some voicemails and we'll play them. This show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault and Robert Anderson. Thanks also to our interns, Maya Cole and Sebrin Mallard. Joel Meyer is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Find links to all the ways to get in touch with us at nerdappodcast.com. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to us because you already are. But we'd love it if you took the plunge and subscribed on iTunes or followed us on NPR One. Just search Nerdat Recaps. We share links to things we love on Facebook, which you can see if you like us there. And again, we're on Twitter at Nerdat Podcast and would like very much to discuss Game of Thrones with you. Throw us some stars and write a review if you are feeling generous. Like the excellent C Pace did on iTunes saying... I love this podcast so much. Last season, I spent my Monday morning just waiting for new episodes to come out. Well, we got to get out of here because yeah, we don't want to keep C-Pace waiting. Around. No, no, no. <laughs> C-Pace, here you are. <laughs> See you next week. Yes, next week. Here. <laughs> On W. Tune in next week after you tune in to Game of Thrones and then tune in to us because, you know, it goes together. <laughs> there you go. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I'd never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.